BibleTalk.tv presents The Tabernacle, Part 2. The only way to approach God was through the tabernacle. It was exclusive and isolated by design. Man was allowed to approach but not to enter God's presence. There is still the sin problem. The tabernacle symbolized the presence of God with his people and showed that sinful people could live in the presence of a holy God. It would take time to prepare people for the Messiah, the final solution to the sin problem. The tabernacle consisted of many signs pointing to and setting the stage for Jesus and his church. Unlike Israel, we have the advantage of hindsight through the scriptures. Not all visual symbols are clear. Not so, however, for the colors of the tabernacle. White representing purity of God and of those who would live in his presence, prominent in the linen court curtains. Blue for heavenly, the color of the sky and a reminder of the heavenly realm. Blue was the most used color in the Old Testament, mentioned 50 times. Red, blood, the symbol of blood needed for atonement of the sins of mankind. Purple, royalty, the supremacy of God and Christ, a sign of the rich and powerful. Combine blue and the red equals purple, heavenly blood. Gold represented wealth, power, and status. The silver, redemption. Thirty pieces of silver was used to buy back the firstborn in Israel. Numbers 18, 15, and 16. Also, it was the cost for a ransom payment. Visual symbolism showed the way for man to approach God. However, the tabernacle vividly demonstrated the separation of God and man. There were three areas that one had to pass in order to come into the actual presence of God. Three curtains, the gate, the tent of the tabernacle, and the veil inside the tabernacle. Today, we see the shadow of Jesus represented in all three curtains, the way, the truth, and the light, John fourteen six. The good news is that although we started off outside the tabernacle, separated from God, there is a way into the outer court, a door colorful and welcoming, beckoning one to come inside. Since we have no real photos of the gate, we'll rely on the artist's renditions of the tapestries throughout the tabernacle. To enter the tabernacle's outer courtyard, one had to pass through the first gate, a 30-foot-wide curtain, 15 feet high. The realization of what was necessary to come closer to God became readily apparent to the worshiper. The price of entry or passage inside had to be propitiated or paid for by blood. A sacrifice had to take place for admittance to be granted. The outer court was surrounded by a heavy, finely knit, white linen curtain, most likely bysis, an Egyptian linen that was of purest white. The color white always represented purity and is echoed in Revelation 19.8, the saints robed in white linen. The curtain was a hundred cubits by fifty cubits by five cubits. A cubit is from the tip of the finger to the elbow, about eighteen inches. Therefore, the surrounding fence or barricade of the tabernacle was 150 feet by 75 feet by seven and a half foot high. The pure white linen was a shadow of Christ, 
to enter inside, you had to somehow go through it. Israel was on the outside with only one way to enter. This curtain or fence was to block the view of the tabernacle from the rest of the camp and to remind them of their separation because of sin. It was strung on 60 pillars of brass and hung by silver hooks, silver representing redemption, ransom, or atonement. The pillars were made of acacia or shittim wood, sometimes referred to as iron wood. It was stronger than walnut and insect-proof, covered in bronze and set into a bronze socket, bronze representing judgment. The fence was a shadow of the church or Christians connected by Christ and standing in judgment. Let's take a closer look at the entry of the gate. Only a Hebrew male was allowed to enter into the tabernacle outer court, and even then he could only go as far as the sacrificial altar. He had to approach it with his offerings. Something to note, previously, man was without access to God, separated by sin. Yet God made it relatively easy to have fellowship with the required admission price, an animal sacrifice under the old law, and faith in the Messiah under the New Covenant, the New Testament. As mentioned before, the gate curtain was the only entry to the tabernacle courtyard. It was made of fine linen dyed in four prominent colors. Blue, heavenly. Purple, kingship. Scarlet, ransom and white, signifying purity or sinlessness. Its beauty invited the Hebrew men to enter. Notice that there was no gold or silver anywhere in the tabernacle courtyard. The gate portrayed various aspects of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Jesus used the illustration of a shepherd and the doorkeeper in John ten seven and 9. So Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All those who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. After passing through the gate, the first thing the Israelites would encounter was a bronze altar, though sometimes referred to as a brass altar. This is probably incorrect. Bronze was much stronger as a metal with a higher melting temperature, more suited to sacrificial fires. Scripture sometimes names it the brazen altar or the altar of sacrifice, especially since that was its purpose. It stood on a raised mound of earth, higher than the surrounding furniture. The method of approach was a ramp used to get up to the altar, not stairs, so no one could see under the priest's robes, Exodus twenty twenty six. Combining the Hebrew and Latin words used, you'll find its definition a high place for sacrifice or slaughter. It was made of acacia wood overlaid with bronze with a molded horn at each corner of the altar. Horns traditionally represented power. This was also a place of refuge. A guilty person, fearing for his life, could flee to it for safety and await justice by hanging on to the horns. 1 Kings 1, 50-53 and 2 Samuel 22, 3. The altar measured 7.5 feet by 7.5 feet by 4.5 feet. It was the largest and busiest piece of the tabernacle furniture. It was used once yearly for the Day of Atonement sacrifices, 
morning and evening sacrifices for the holy place and was open for people's sacrifices every day. The altar contained a bronze grate to roast the sacrifices. There were bronze rings at each corner of the brazen altar. They passed poles called staves through the rings in order to transport the altar. These were made of shittim wood covered with bronze. They were altar utensils, bronze pans, shovels, basins, flesh hooks, forks, and fire pans used to retrieve coals from the bronze altar. The fire on the altar was to burn continuously. It was to never go out or be extinguished. There were no chairs. The priest's work was never finished, so they could not sit down. But Jesus, the last and once for all high priest, atoned for all sins with his sacrifice and sat down at the right hand of God. But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. Hebrews 10.12 The bronze altar was a place to receive redemption and forgiveness from sin through sacrifices. It was a place of death. It was a place for offerings. It symbolized the sacrifices made upon the cross by Jesus Christ. The altar was as far as the Jew could go. Past it was reserved for the priests of the tabernacle. Between the altar and the tent of meeting was a bronze laver, also called the bronze basin. The laver was made from a bronze Egyptian mirrors of the women who served at the entrance of the tabernacle, Exodus 38.8. The laver was for ceremonial and purification washings. It illustrated that nothing impure would or could get close to God. No dimensions were given for the laver or the stand, but later at Solomon's temple, it held 1,600 gallons of water, was called the Molten Sea, and it was supported on the backs of 12 bronze bulls. In addition, there were 12 smaller wheeled lavers. The tabernacle's lavers was to be portable, and the temple's was permanent. The priests bathed, immersed their entire bodies when they were ordained. Washing with water was the first step in the consecration of a priest. Exodus 29, 4, 40, 12, and Leviticus 8, 6. They were not allowed to enter the tabernacle or approach the bronze altar to minister without washing their hands and feet. After all, sacrifices caused a lot of blood to be splashed in the area. Forgetting or ignoring this obligation was punishable by death. Exodus 30, 19 through 21. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. Psalms 104. Remember we said there were three gates to the tabernacle? We looked at the first gate and how colorful and ornate it was. The closer to the Holy of Holies, the place where God would dwell, the more ornate, the more expensive, the more elaborate, and the more beautiful the objects became. Beyond the bronze laver, only the priests were allowed to enter the tabernacle itself. There was a curtain serving as the second door of the section called the Holy Place. In this room, priests would perform daily chores, which we'll examine shortly. This curtain served as a barrier, not permitting those to enter in, again under that penalty of death. The curtain was the reverse of the courtyard gate. It was twice as high and half as wide. 15 feet wide, 30 feet high. 
This curtain was also suspended between bronze pillars and bronze bases similar to the courtyard fence. The curtain kept hidden from the people's view the inside of the tabernacle's room. The tabernacle's curtain was embellished with embroidered, not sewn, cherubim on both sides. It represented holiness through this entry. There were patterns on the tabernacle door, the veil, and the ceiling of the sanctuary. Everywhere the priests looked reminded them that they were in a special place, much closer to God than ever before, except, of course, in Eden. More on this when we go inside the tent itself. Cherubim is the plural of cherub. Today we see them displayed as cute little baby angels like Cupid, often portrayed as beautiful females with wings. Nowhere in the Bible are celestial beings identified as female, only male. The first cherubim were described in Genesis 3.24, guarding the entrance of the Garden of Eden. Scripture describes cherubims much differently. Ezekiel 1.4-14 says they have the face of a man, representing all things that encompass a human being, the mind, reason, affections, choice, etc. Also, the face of a lion, the king of beasts, and the face of an oxen, a servant who uses his strength to serve his master, and the face of an eagle, dignity, power, and perception. Further description can be found in Revelation 4, 6, and 7. This seems a far cry from the cute little celestial beings described in modern renditions. There were no cherubim on the gate curtain. The area behind the gate was for the work of God. Sacrifices, washings, ceremony, and blood. Since God dwelt in the sanctuary, in the Holy of Holies, the cherubim were appropriate decor for the tabernacle itself. The outer sanctuary walls, called boards, were cut from the acacia tree and covered in gold, the corruptible covering the incorruptible. They were held together by poles and rings, making them a solid structure. There were 20 boards on the north and south. At the rear, west end, six boards. There were five posts, wood covered in gold on the east end, where the curtain was hung. Four horizontal bars covered in gold, passing through the gold rings on the outside of the walls, with a solid bar inside to brace each wall. Two additional boards reinforced the northwest, west, and southwest corner walls. Two silver sockets for each board, weighing 125 pounds each. These reflected Christians and the church. Christians are separated from each other in the flesh and from the world, but they are joined together much like those tabernacle walls in Christ's church. Ephesians 2, 22 relates, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also, being built together, into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. There were four layers to the tabernacle roof. The first layer was spun fine linen, blue, white, and red, with the cherubim on both sides. There were ten panels measuring 42 feet, six feet wide and fastened together with a hundred blue loops and fifty gold rings. This formed the ceiling over the innermost sanctuary. Only a small portion of the embroidery was visible. Looking up from inside the sanctuary, the embroidery hung over the external walls of the boards, and because of the other layers, little of it could be seen on the outside of the tabernacle sanctuary. 
The second layer of covering was made from goat hair, like a mohair, as in a sweater. Goats were used for deception. Isaac with Jacob making his arm hairy. Jesus saying the sinful sitting on the left were goats separated from the sheep. And of course, there was the scapegoat. This covering was made of 11 panels and hung over the doorway, always in the sight of those in the courtyard. This reminded man that his sin was always visible. As David said, my sin is always before me. Psalms 51:31. The third covering, a ram's skin dyed red, symbolized the sacrificial animal. The red dye was to represent the bloody sacrifice of the animal, and it covered the goat hair, signifying sin. As a shadow of Christ, it denotes the bloodiness that covered sins. Two rams were used for consecrating the priestly office. One was burnt, the other for consecration. Exodus 29, 15-22. The final covering of the tabernacle was a badger skin. The Hebrew word could be dagong or mantati skin. A dagong was a seal-like animal that was plentiful at the time but are now almost extinct. The covering was the last and most exposed to the elements. So it served two purposes, to waterproof the tabernacle and to hide the presence of God and the valuables from the outside world. It allowed the entrance to remain visible, but completely covered the sides and the rest of the tabernacle. This concludes the outside of the tabernacle. Next, inside the tabernacle. 